So glad you're here. Thanks for coming. So, Frank Reed. He was held in a Lebanese prison from about 1986 to 1990. Much of that time, he was set in complete darkness. And for all he knew, nobody was there with him. And then at one point, they actually took a blindfold and put it on him. And he wore that blindfold for three straight weeks until he finally just lifted up a little bit to peek out and see there were two other people there with him that he had no idea were present. And even though he was beaten, he was made ill, he was tormented, he felt that most of all, the lack of anyone caring about him was the hardest thing at that time to deal with. He was interviewed by Time, Time Magazine, and he said that nothing I did mattered to anyone. He said, I began to realize how withering it is to exist with not a single expression of caring around me. And then he stated this, I learned one overriding fact, caring is a powerful force. If no one cares, you are truly alone. Let's think about that just for a moment. You see, I've, I think one of my deepest fears is that Sunday after Sunday, someone, but I'm guessing it's more than that, walk into the doors of First Baptist Church, and this is exactly how they feel. They wonder, you know, I'm, I'm here, but yet I feel totally alone. Do people know I exist? Because even in a completely digitally connected world, we've got a problem with loneliness like we've never had before. Those feelings often lead to depression. And if they're not dealt with, they can even cause thoughts of suicide. Everyone needs to feel cared for. Certainly everybody that comes through the doors of a church. So if you were just to imagine with me just for a moment, the most caring church you could possibly conceive of. If you could imagine for a moment a church that when people came in, they were greeted by someone. Someone showed care. As a matter of fact, perhaps even they were invited to a meal or to a group that meets on a regular basis. See, that's what I'm hoping and praying for. But what I want to talk about it was how do we be that? How can we be a caring church? The passage I want to look at this morning comes from Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we'll be starting at verse 35, reading through verse 38. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. I'd ask if you'd please stand and join me as I read this passage. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You can be seated. We're continuing this morning on this sermon series called The Mission in Motion. I've said it before and I'll say it again. 
We've got a great mission statement to know him and make him know. We've got it up on the walls, but what good is a mission statement if you're not living out the mission statement? And what I'm hoping we'll see is that in the scriptures in Acts chapter 2, four very clear actions come up in this passage. In the past weeks, we've looked at worship and the call to worship and to grow. We saw in that very early fledgling church that these young Christians were daily uh, seeking the teaching of the disciples who were teaching them everything about Christ. And we talked about the importance of connection. We see that uh, in fellowship with each other. We also see that in the act of communion. We talked about last week. And this morning I want to focus on this last word to serve. The importance of serving each other. Because there in Acts chapter 2 in that very young church, about 120 people uh, by the time Christ was resurrected and risen up into the sky, there were about 120 followers. But they were being added to um, exponentially. And in verses 44 and 45, Acts chapter 2, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So we see this theme of service coming up very, very early in the scriptures. So this morning I want to focus on four characteristics of Christ's care. As you look at how Christ cared for people, four distinct characteristics that pop up will be there in Matthew chapter 9. We'll also be looking in the book of John and the book of 1 John as we unpack this a bit. But let me start out with the passage I just read, starting in verse 35, Matthew 9, 35. And again, he says there, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So in the gospel of Matthew, what we're given is a foretaste of the coming kingdom of God. One of the themes actually in the book of Matthew is Christ as king. And he's showing us this theme of kingdom living. He's teaching in the synagogues, traveling around, demonstrating his power throughout the land. He showed his power over nature by calming a storm. He showed his power over uh, the spiritual world by casting out demons. And he shows his power over the physical human body and, and the ability to heal disease and every kind of affliction. So he's showing the world his power. Now what's interesting is when you look at the way, though, he went about healing. Now he could have just come into the world, right? And he could have just, he could have just raised his hands and said, healed! And everybody on the earth could have been healed of whatever disease or affliction. He could have. But that's not what he did at all, is it? As a matter of fact, we see in Scripture this method that comes with these healings and these healing narratives. In Matthew 4.24, it says, So his fame spread through all Syria. They brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. In virtually every case of healing, it was because someone made the need known to him. There's something important here. It's one of these prerequisites, it seems, that before Christ exercises his power, there was a need for humility on behalf 
of the person who needed the healing to come forward and say, I'm here, I either walked here, I was brought here, and I want to be healed. The need was made known. As a matter of fact, that's this first point, that the need had to be communicated. There was, a, there was some bad thinking, as a matter of fact, at that time about why somebody was sick. The Jews believed that people were uh, diseased or crippled because of some sin. And Jesus made the point to say, no, I, as a matter of fact, he healed a blind man to say, this man was blind because I was going to come here on this day and exercise my power so you could see it happen. But Jesus didn't just act on needs that were not communicated you see, that's important as we serve each other. We have to know what the needs are. I can remember whenever I was back in West Virginia, I was serving as a, as, as a care pastor, uh, and it, it was a fairly big church, and there was a lot of needs. And I can't tell you how many times somebody would come to me absolutely furious. And I was like, well, what's wrong? Well, why didn't you do this, this such and such? Why didn't you visit them in the hospital? Why didn't you take care of their financial needs? You know how bad they're hurting. And I'd be like, no. I, sorry. It's interesting how many people think pastors are clairvoyant. I don't have the gift of omniscience. Or does Brad Kremenzik. And we don't know what all the needs are. So it's important in this in this conversation about service, that people know what needs need to be served. Christ made it a point to know the needs as they were being communicated to him. And I want to emphasize, we have resources to help people. We've got re financial resources to help people. And I get why people are hesitant about coming forward, about saying, you know, I've got a financial need. I think oftentimes people are going to be afraid they're going to be judged, like they're not pulling their weight. Well, let me tell you something. Anybody can find themselves in a circumstance, no matter their background, where they could be in financial need. Let us know. We, we don't judge people. Um, there's lots of needs that come up. And that goes for hospital visits. Let us know when you're there. We've got a guy on staff, Brad Kremenzik, who's happy to uh, help out folks and visit folks if he knows they're there. He's an excellent care pastor. Actually, he's, I've learned a lot about it by watching him. But communicate the needs so we can help meet the needs that we can. That's our first characteristics of serving is the need needs to be communicated. We find the second in verse 36. This is Jesus looking out. It says in verse 36, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless and described as sheep without a shepherd. Um, he saw the problems going on, and I've made it a point to study sheep. And I've got to tell you, this isn't much of a compliment. So sheep, and some of you may know this, they, they eat a lot of grass. But they can't digest that grass unless they lay down for some time. And sometimes a shepherd has to come and make the sheep lie down in the grass to digest this, this food. And then not only that, sheep cannot 
get into moving water. If they get into water, their wool will soak up the water and they'll sink like a rock and they'll drown. So the shepherd's got to be especially careful about where the sheep are going and, and drinking. And then third, um, and this is, this is actually pretty dark. This is kind of tragic. This happened in Turkey. Sheep have a tendency to just follow the leader. And there was this event in Turkey. It's a little hard to see because the sheep are the same color as the rocks. But if you look real close at that picture, 500 sheep, they estimate, jumped off a cliff following the first one and died. Another 1,100 sheep proceeded to jump off the cliff, but by that time, this is kind of morbid, there was enough of a sort of a fluffy pillow for them to land on. They, they lived. But they've got this tendency to follow each other. Also, sheep... If a predator comes around them, you know, it, it, many animals, if you, if you, know, if you watch uh, National Geographic, if, a, if one of those antelopes starts getting chased by a cheetah or a lion, what does it do? I mean, it bolts, right? It bolts away. The herd scatters. That's not what sheep do. When a predator comes in, they just like huddle up in the middle like a giant cotton ball, and then the predators just start picking off all those sheep one by one. So the shepherd's got to be there, got to scare away the wild animals, got to be prepared for whatever. And how does Christ describe us? <laughs> this is what we are. And by the way, the sheep have to be turned over if they fall on their back. Because the blood will uh, drain out of their legs. They can choke. And here we are, pitiful, helpless, and desperately in need of him. <laughs> And then how does Jesus respond to these sheep? Well, the text says he has compassion. It's an interesting word. It's from this Greek word, splanknizomai, and it describes entrails. And what do entrails and compassion have in common? Well, the, the idea is here that you would actually feel compassion for someone, that you would understand their story so much that it would be uh, visceral. You know, you kind of have a a feeling toward that person, and this is how Jesus felt towards those people, those crowds that were coming around him. He felt compassion, and that's how we need to be feeling towards the need of others. It's very easy to judge, uh, and, and if you're not a person who naturally feels compassion, if you're more of a, you know, God helps those who help themselves, I get that. It's not biblical, but I understand that. I've felt that way before, just try to put yourself in their shoes. Try to understand them. And camp out there for a little bit. Sometimes I need to hold something in my head long enough to where it starts getting down to my heart. This is how Christ felt for those crowds. There was a, an author, his name's Henri Nguyen, he was Dutch, lived in Holland, uh, and around the time of, he was a teenager around the end of World War II, about 13 years old. And it was, it was a difficult time. People were starving at the time. And uh, one of his most vivid memories of childhood is this little goat that his dad bought him that he named Walter. And Walter was his best friend. And he talks about getting up in the morning. The first thing he'd do was go and find Walter and feed Walter. 
And at the end of the day, when he'd get home, he made this little wooden cart that he would hook up to Walter. And Walter had this little pen inside the garage. And he loved this little goat. It was difficult. They were difficult times. And uh, Walter was sort of a source of peace for him. But then he got up one morning and Walter was gone. Somebody had stolen Walter from the pen. And he said, I don't remember ever crying so vehemently and so long. He said, I sobbed and screamed from grief. His parents didn't know what to do with him. He said it was the first time that he'd really learned about love and loss. He went on to say this. Years later, when the war was over and we had enough food again, my father told me that our gardener had taken Walter and fed him to his family who had nothing left to eat. My father knew it was the gardener but he never confronted him. Even though he saw my grief, I now realize that both Walter and my father taught me something about compassion. The compassion that his father felt for this family that was in need outweighed the grief of his own son. And we, we look at our Savior, Jesus Christ, the compassion that the Father felt for humanity that he looked on also outweighed the grief he had for his own son. You see, that's what's been modeled for us. That kind of love. And that kind of compassion. So be compassionate. Be compassionate. And maybe it's something you've got to work at. Um, Maybe you grew up in a house that didn't show a lot of compassion, so it doesn't come as naturally. But then how did Jesus show compassion? I want to move on to this third characteristic that we see uh, in the Gospel of John. So skip a few books ahead to John. I'm going to look at uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, and then verse 14. John 1, 1, and then verse 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then in verse 14, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us. And we have seen this glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what's going on here in these, these verses? Verse 1 makes a reference to Word. It's got a capital W. It's referring to Christ. And it's uh, this Greek word, logos. You know, may recognize logos, you know, words that end in L-O-G-Y, biology. We usually mean the study of something. When we hear the word, word, though, I'm just thinking about usually little letters, you know, on a page that make up a word. However, it was much different in the mind of this audience. Logos, or word, was referring to a way of life. It was a reason for living. It was a philosophy that you would go about your life by. And what's so stunning about this this moment and what John is saying, this bombshell, was John is saying that God was the reason for life. This person, Jesus Christ, who was incarnate. Now, what does incarnate mean? It means he put on humanity. He became human. He became one of us so that Christ was fully God and fully man. Now, missionaries get this because when missionaries go into a new, a new culture, it's called incarnational ministry. They're becoming like the people that they're ministering to. They're, they're adopting that culture. And they do things the way the people there do. 
dressing the way they dress, learning that culture. I have a friend back in West Virginia that's got a great illustration of this. He, he grew up with all these ducks. He had all these little ducks that kept them in the, out in the backyard. And he said, I'll never forget saying, you know, Chad, I always want to go play with those ducks. But he said, every time I went to play with the ducks, the ducks would just run away. So he said, I started imagining, well, what if I could become a duck? Because then I could go out there and the little ducks wouldn't just run away. I could be in contact with them. See, that's what Christ did. He became one of us. If we had seen God in his full glory, the human body can't handle it. So, like it says in Philippians 2, he veiled that glory. He became human. He became one of us. And then he could minister to us in a way that we could never have received minister, ministry otherwise. You see, contact is important when we're serving others. It's important to be present with people. Physically is, is best, a phone call. If not, Christ came to be with us. But so often we have a hard time being with those that are suffering, don't we? And I think something really tragic can happen at times. If someone in our bodies is really hurting, maybe they've just had something unspeakable happen, some tragedy in their life, a lot of times they're avoided. You know why? People are so afraid they're going to get around that person and say the wrong thing. They're going to open their mouth and, as I say, let the dumb fall out, and it's going to make things worse than they are. Well, see, here's the beauty. When you want to help somebody that's hurting, you really don't have to say anything. I love the way, you know, Rick Warren, I think, said this very well. He talked about the care he received. He had a son that committed suicide. And he said the best thing people could do was this. Show up and shut up. And people came to his house. They had a small group. And they actually talked about spending the night in the living room. And they weren't looking for conversation. It's okay not to know what to say. There is no magical phrase that's just going to take somebody's pain away. But it's about being with somebody. It's about, we, you know, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. But this speaks to being in contact to serve other people. Be in touch with them. Don't shy away from people that are hurting. And then finally, this fourth characteristic we find in 1 John chapter 3. Verses, I'm going to look at verses 16 through 18. It says, By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Some really important distinctions to make here between saying you love someone and showing them. And this speaks of a depth of care that we're to provide for our brothers and sisters that truly speaks of sacrifice. It was the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross that demonstrated the depths of love that he has for us. And this is the true test of love, and it's not one of just verbal profession, just loving somebody because you say so. It's a willing a willingness to love with both action and truth. The actions prove the words to be true. And this is the care that Christ gave. 
This is how we are to provide care, sacrificially, and actually doing something, and not just talking about it. Um, is this the kind of care that we're willing to show to others, or do we just give them lip service? See, I tell my wife, I, just, I tell her I love her all the time. You know, we say that to each other when we're getting off the phone, we say that to each other before we go to bed. I tell her all the time how much I love her. It's just when I've got to do something like unload the dishwasher or get the car cleaned up. I can, it's easy to say, I love you. Honey, I really love you. I'm just going to sit here, okay? Yeah. But I love you, okay? I do. I just don't feel like doing anything right now. You understand, right? I'll just let the clothes pile up in that chair. Now, I love you. I, just, I, just, I don't feel like putting this away. I know it bothers you, but I love you. It doesn't work that way. It's, you know, it's kind of like what Janet Jackson said. What have you done for me lately? That you show that you love somebody. So you may be scratching your head thinking, okay, Chad, I'm, I'm eager to provide care. I, I, I do want to um, show the body that I love the body, but I'm not quite sure how to do that. Well, I want to introduce you to an, uh, an opportunity that you can that you could demonstrate care for others. See, we do something at First Baptist Church called meal care. And we're going to have some serious needs coming up here in our body. We're going to have some people, we've got some very serious surgeries coming up, uh, and we're going to have, um, we've got some, some pregnant ladies that are going to need some help at home. And we have a lady at our church, Melody Thompson, who heads up something called meal care. And if you want to participate in that, if you think, well, you know, I can, I can follow those instructions on the back of a box of macaroni... You're qualified to do this. So get in touch with Melody. She has a, a freezer back here. We keep a lot of freezer meals and a, a freezer we've got dedicated just to help the people out. But this is a way you can serve. So if you're looking for an opportunity, here's a, a golden one. And uh, you can call the office too, and we'll get you in touch um, with the right people. And you can know how you can, this is one way you can serve. So if I was going to put all this together and, and wrap it up, I'd say this. Serve others by compassionately caring for communicated needs. Serve others by compassionately caring for communicated needs. Let your needs be made known to us. Let us help you. Um, we don't judge. I want to close by sharing with you a situation that happened at a church I was in previously. Uh, this was actually down in Texas. Uh, we had a missionary that we supported at that church, he and his wife, and he made, he made a bad decision. He ended up, he ended up uh, sinning. He actually had an affair. And they came back to the United States, and they were in turmoil, he and his wife, as you can imagine. He got up in front of the church and repented. Uh, we had a, a meeting after one of the services, and he said, look, I did this. He said, I messed up. Uh, it was a, a same-sex affair, and he said, I, I'm sorry. And watching that church surround that couple uh, is something that I'll never forget. His wife was Tennessee, and they, they flew in Tennessee. They flew a uh, group of ladies in Tennessee so they could minister to her needs. There was a group of men that came around him there in Dallas, Texas. And watching that, that, that church love and care for that couple uh, I'll never forget that because, see, that is the kind of care and love and service that we need to be ready to give to people. When they're hurting, 
when they think they have nowhere to go, when they're scared, this is a chance for the church to step up and be the church and demonstrate the same kind of love and grace and mercy that Christ showed to us. Please pray with me. God, I pray that we would be a caring church that would please you. That is the body of Christ here on earth, this local assembly here in, in Sheridan, Wyoming, that we would be the hands and feet to people in need. Lord, people here in our, our, our service, people here in our midst, people here that are part of our local fellowship, God, then looking out into the community, how can we be the body of Christ and serve the way we saw that early church serving each other in Acts chapter 2. God, I pray that we would find the needs. I pray that we would be confident that we um, can meet the needs. And Lord, I pray that we would creatively and compassionately care for others. God, I pray for that person that's here today who's wondering if anybody at all cares about them. I pray they wouldn't leave today without someone showing them some care, serving them, maybe inviting them out somewhere today, God, so that they wouldn't feel alone. And God, we love you, and we thank you for your example, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I want to remind you again that we're having a, uh, two things. First of all, that uh, we are taking up an elder fund today. Our elder fund is how we care for people in our body that are in need. And um, we've got a man that will be standing. And we've got actually at each door, we've got somebody with a plate, and you can drop something in there. That goes to our elder fund. Also, for the uh, pig roast we're having next Sunday, we need some help with some tents. So if there'd be four or five folks to be willing to meet up here in the corner and help us out with some tents that we could get set up, uh, Jake Edgel's gonna come up and give us a quick briefing on what we'll need to do. So if a few, few folks would just be willing to help out, you can just meet us over here in this corner. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Have a wonderful Sunday. We'll see you soon.